0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord of God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Our New Testament reading is Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Good morning. Please join me in prayer as we pray for the preaching of God's word. Father, Your son, our our Lord Jesus Christ, prayed that you would sanctify us through your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify us now, Father, and enable us by your spirit to hear what it is you are saying to your church. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This week, we begin a new sermon series on the vision of the church, capital C. So it's not just the vision of Grace Church, although that's included, but the vision that God has in mind for the church universal. And you say, Pastor, that's an audacious. Yeah, I know, and we only have a few minutes. (laughs) So vision. Vision is seeing what could be, or as Jonathan would say, it's a picture of a preferable future. Years ago, before we moved to Dover, we lived in Chattanooga and we bought a piece of land that from the eye, it it looked like it was just a spot where rainwater would collect, there's bamboo that had grown and and wild scrub brush and, and trees. And we looked at it and thought, a house could go down there. And so we found out who owned it, Connie did, and we discovered that there were five lots on that property. And we saw, this, so we talked to the owner, and he was a developer who had built a number of homes and, and apartments there around town. And he saw numerous buildings on that property. We saw one home, he saw several. Our vision was a home that wasn't encroached upon by neighbors. <laughs> so we bought all five lots. <laughs> yeah. But that happened because, because of a vision. Because of a vision. We could see the home that we, we wanted sitting on that property. Our preferable future, if you will. Until God called us to Dover. You see, vision is seeing what could be the picture of a preferable future. So as God looked at the property of earth, the occupants, humanity, what preferable future did he see? See, that's what this sermon, the first in a short series of sermons, the plan of the mystery, is about. And that phrase is taken from verse nine that, that reads this way, "And to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things." And I chose this phrase as the title because it shows that God's, it shows that God's vision of the church is intentionally fulfilling a promise that is consistent with his eternal purpose. So behind the plan of the mystery is the vision of God. But what is that vision? See, that's the question we're answering today. So the vision of the church, remember capital C, is a mystery now revealed in a ministry of grace that is a manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God as the mission of Christ is realized. Let me say that again. The vision of the church is a mystery now revealed in a ministry of grace that is the manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God as the mission of Christ is realized. That's the outline. So here's this point number one. The vision is a mystery now revealed. Look at verses one through six. For this reason... This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God's vision of the church is a mystery now revealed. I love a good mystery, don't you? But this is not Agatha Christie or or Father Brown, G.K. Chesterton's priest detective. No, no, it, it's, it's not something that you can discover by following a trail of clues. But mysterion, that's the Greek word for, for mystery, it's something that was previously kept quiet. It was a secret that's now revealed by revelation. Did you notice what the text said? That it wasn't made known to the sons of men in other generations. It isn't something found through natural revelation. This what, is what the scripture is telling us. So, so natural, the glory of God, Romans 1 tells us, can be, can be seen in natural revelation. But this is not through natural revelation, but, it's, but it's, it's revealed to those who have been brought into it. So our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 56 is an example where we see God is preaching the gospel through Isaiah. But yet, they didn't see it. It was a mystery. The nation of Israel was the church of the Old Testament. They were were called out of the world to serve God, to be be God's people. The Exodus, that's what the Exodus was about. God was calling them out to serve him. Isaiah 56, 6-8 says this, And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So here we see that God's vision of the end and and regathering of Israel is for all nations. Those Old Testament saints would say, yes, the Gentiles, yes, they can come into the temple. But they're not like us. Well, the vision, see... They weren't seeing the vision. So the vision, God had, had kept it quiet. They weren't seeing the vision. Because remember, the text says in Isaiah 56, it says, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So God is, in, is gathering people. And Paul now says this, that the mystery is revealed. The Gentiles are now, are, are not just coming to the temple, but they are like the Jews, equally the people of God. And listen to the mystery of the gospel now revealed in Ephesians 3.6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, just like the nation of Israel was called out, and made the people of God by that same calling, the Gentiles are now being called out. So by the way, so when the, when the scripture speaks of Jews and Gentiles, it's talking about those who are, are, are naturally Abraham's children, they're his descendants, You know, the, the, those, they, and, and, and the Gentiles is everyone else. So unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. <laughs> so I think that's just about all of us in here. Yeah, so 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 the scripture the scripture is saying to is saying that the, that the that the gentiles are sharers, they're called to, to partake in the promises of being Abraham's heirs in the same body, the community of believers. So everything that was promised to the nation of Israel are now the promises of both Jew and Gentile together in one body. This is God's vision of the church, the mystery of the gospel. And there's more though. This is God's vision of the church is not just a mystery veal, but it is in a, a ministry of grace. Look at verses seven and eight, this is point number two. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, God's vision of the church is in a ministry of grace. And this tells us that what God has done to resource the vision, that it's resourced by his grace. Because, you know, if you have a vision, you have, you're going to need resources in order to accomplish it, Right? Yeah, and the amount of power and, and riches you put into the vision is an indication of the vision's importance to you, right? Vision drives budget, in other words. So, a little parable. A man went on vacation to the Holy Land and with his wife and her mother, while in Israel, the mother-in-law died from a heart attack. The couple went to a local undertaker who explained that they could either ship the body home, which would cost more than $1,500, or they could bury her right there in the Holy Land for only $150. The man said, well, ship her home. Surprised, the undertaker responded, are you sure? That's an an awfully big expense and we can do a very nice burial here. The man said, look, 2,000 years ago they buried a guy here and three days later he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. Vision drives budget. And this man obviously believed in the resurrection. Yeah, vision drives budget. The amount of power and riches you put into the vision is an indication of how important the vision is to you. So, how do you know? How do you know how important this vision of the church is to God? We calculate the grace that He is given to us by Him. Paul says that He was made a servant. Diaconos, and the, that's the word from which we get our word, our our word deacon, and it's translated servant, and it and it means it can mean a waiter on tables. It's the word Jesus used of himself, and it, but Paul said, I am a I am a diaconos. I am a servant of the gospel, according to the gift of God's grace. This grace has brought him into contact with, he says, the working of His power. And this grace enables him to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So this, this grace that God has given is what the church distributes to all the nations. And Paul says it is this grace that has, that has brought him into it connecting to the power of God and the unsearchable riches of Christ Christ. Is that a great phrase? Unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches of compassion in Christ so that you and I, that our hearts are are warmed toward our fellow man. Unsearchable riches of Christ, riches of merit in Christ so that we're not sunk by our sinfulness but assured of the Father's love for us in the Son with whom he is well pleased, that that pleasure rests on us because of the merit of Christ. Unsearchable, unsearchable riches of Christ in sanctifying grace that is at work in every circumstance of our lives, making us into the image of Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ in in bringing comforting grace Whereby we 're reminded that Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal, unsearchable riches of Christ, and there's, there's a lot more, but time doesn't allow us to to go into all of no. but but God has resourced the vision of the church with the working of his power and the unsearchable riches of Christ now with resources with resources like that, is there anything that God can't accomplish through his church. yeah. Yeah. With resources like that, can you and I afford not to become servants of this gospel? See, this is the vision God has resourced by his grace at the cost of his son's life to fulfill the promises of God and make the ethnicities one. God's vision of the church is in a ministry of grace that is a manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God. This is verses 9 and 10, and this is point number 3. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So God's vision of the church is the manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God tremendous, tremendous love has been given to us through Christ. Amen. Yes, God's passion for the vision he has for the church is seen in the grace that has been given to us. And the scripture tells us he lavished this grace on us in all wisdom. So God's, this gift of grace to the mass of, of messy humanity is a spectacle to the invisible world. This is what the scripture is telling us. And you might say, what invisible world? Well, he's talking about you know, rulers, authorities, angels, demons. He said, he said that, that, that they, are, they, are, they are beholding. They are witnessing. And what is it that they're beholding? Well, that word manifold in, in, in that Paul uses is a word that means marked with a great variety of colors. And that's... God's wisdom is marked with a great variety of colors. Yeah, does God like color? Of course he does. I mean, you see, you see it every morning, you see it every evening. I mean, and, and the color isn't just whether you, whether you believe in God or not. You look at them and you go, wow. Yeah, it's God's, God's variegated multicolored wisdom is made manifest to this, this, this invisible world. They're, and they're watching the power and love of God at work in the world of humans. They're wa- and they're watching humans respond to the power and love of God in the way that they love each other for the sake of the Almighty. Paul said, he's the maker of all things. So let's consider both of these things. God's vision of the church is the plan of the mystery That was hidden, but now Paul is bringing to light. He says, "For everyone, God has worked His plan, bringing together Jew and Gentile into one body, one family, with a common inheritance." This means that the plan is to be seen. It's to be. It is to be. It's to be viewed. How? Well, Paul uses this word for light, and it means it means to brighten it up. He said to bring to light, to to brighten up this, this manifold wisdom of God. And what is it that he's brightening up? Well, that word for plan, that's translated plan, it's the word koinonia. You know what that word is, right? Fellowship. Fellowship, koinonia. That this is what this is what's, this is what he is brightening up. This is what this is this is the plan of the mystery. That not only are are we very varied in our in our colors and ethnicities, but in our coming together in community. See the word fellowship. It, it's, it's a word that has been stripped of its meaning. You know, because now you think of you think of fellow, oh let's go to the fellowship hall. You know which they also play basketball in. No, no, yeah, we think a fellowship is, it's cookies. No, that's not, that's not, that's not, what, the, that's not what the word means. You know, it was a word that, that denoted and spoke of love, intimacy, communion. In other words, God's vision for the church is to educate the rulers the principalities and powers in heavenly places on the unity of heaven and earth. See, this reminds us that God's vision of the church is supernatural. It's supernatural. And responding to the gospel with love and grace and living the gospel in unity is instructing the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places while it impacts our relationships on earth. See, these... these so, so those early Christians, they were people who had no other reason to be together except for Jesus Christ. And they gathered, and then when, they, when they gathered, they greeted one another with a kiss of peace. And, many, and you can read many stories in church history of those who were in the arenas, and they were about to be put to death. And even as they were about to be put to death, they would kiss one another with this kiss of peace. Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop in their book, The Compelling Community, they talk about this this supernatural power that that brings about a a gospel-revealing community, which is what the the, the multi-ethnic church is, a gospel-revealing community. They talk about this supernatural, and by supernatural they mean a sovereign God working in space and, and time to do what confounds the natural laws of our world. They write this, In gospel-revealing community, many relationships would never exist but for the truth and power of the gospel, either because of the depth of care for each other or because two people in relationship have little in common but Christ. It's how important our fellowship is. It's how important it is to love one another deeply. A few weeks ago, we were at a, a L- Longhorn Restaurant. There were several of us and, you know, and, 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 uh, from, from church here. And we, and we were there you know, in, enjoying lunch together. I mean, you know, we're Latino, we're black, we're white, we're Korean, and we're all sitting around the, these, these three or four tables, and we're laughing it up and having a good time. And the waiter bends over to me, and I thought he was getting a little close. <laughs> you know, and he says to me, what kind of church are you? you know, in my mind, you know, the Westminster Confession, the Presbyterianism, you know, but I, well, you know, I said, we're Grace Church on McKee Road, you know. He said, I never see this, this kind of diversity. I love it. Uh, <laughs> see, but that's, that's, yeah, we, I mean, we weren't there, we were there to eat, we weren't there to be a display, but, you know, I mean, that, that just happens. But. Well, so, so but that's what that's what gospel revealing community does and it's a testimony that Earth finds hard to refute Dan Bremer in his in his in his He's a historian, but he he wrote this. He said, We will never be able to understand the rise of Christianity if we do not take into account such intense feelings as we never hear of them in members of other contemporary pagan cults and religions. So he's saying at the time in in Rome, and up till the time it collapsed, how Christianity won and took over, it was this type of fellowship, the intensity of their fellowship together, and the way that they welcomed in strangers, the way that they rescued babies that were. Thrown out on the trash heap, the way that they took care of everybody's poor. Julius, the emperor, would say that they took care of everybody's poor. To our shame, he wrote to the to the Romans. You know he, that all of those things. He, Jan Bremer, saying you you can't understand that wasn't found in pagan cults. It wasn't found in any of its contemporary religions of the time, but it was there in Christianity. See, this is God's vision of the church. It's these. Two dimensions of, 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 of heaven and earth united, becoming one in Christ. And this means God's vision of the church is the vision, it's, it's the mission of Christ realized. This is the last point. You know, here in verses 11 through 13, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So God's vision of the church is not just a plan, but there is an eternal purpose that the plan is accomplishing. What is that purpose? Well, earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, Paul states it plainly what the purpose is. Look at it. He says, in him we have redemption. And he's talking about Christ. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and for things on earth. You see, Christ is the realization of God's eternal plan of uniting everything in heaven and on earth. In the beginning our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, enjoyed that perfect access, that perfect union with the Father of heaven and earth. They were, they were one. and there was, no, there was only one prohibition. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or the day you eat thereof you will surely die. God was saying to Adam and Eve, "Obey me, and you will live. Do what I say about the tree, and we will be one." They disobeyed, as you know. They listened to one of those authorities, or those one of those rulers. You know, the Satan or Satan, a fallen angel. Sin entered through their disobedience and and then there was this chasm fixed between heaven and earth. Death and distance came into their existence. Adam and Eve are banished from the garden and an angel with a sword blocked the way to the tree of life. And the unity between heaven and earth is gone, but God sought and wanted his creation. Christ The scripture calls the second Adam comes into the world, lives a perfect life, obeyed the way that we should have obeyed. He dies the death we should have died. He's raised from the dead and has now brought heaven and earth together through the redemption of his blood, the forgiveness of our and the forgiveness of our trespasses. And now the way to eternal life, the way to that tree of life is opened. Do you see? God said to Christ, do what I say about the tree, the cross. Do what I say about the tree and they will all live. We will all become one again. It's God's eternal purpose is realized in Christ. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, all those whose faith rests in him are saved and called into the church that God has envisioned before the foundation of the world. See, God's vision of the church is a mystery now revealed and a ministry of grace that is the manifestation of the manifold wisdom of God as the mission of Christ is realized. He said, I would love to be a part of a church like that. I don't know that churches like that exist. Well, if you are in a church like that, you have to share God's vision. You have to share God's vision of the church. And if you love the Lord, you must share his vision of the church. Because it's the one that he has resourced with his power and unsearchable riches, and there's no alternative. It's the vision that is realized in Christ. And 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 the one for which Christ died and rose again to bring into the real world what a plan it is a picture of the future that we at grace prefer you know and the point of the church's existence is to be a witness to the power and wisdom of God so we're not challenged to change the world friends we're challenged to be unified, to be a unified, faithful witness and presence testifying to the power and wisdom of God. We're not changing the world by what we do. God changes the world by what he has given us. Faithful, we're, we are faithful witnesses, not faithful world changers. Changing the world is God's work. Our work is to be faithful in what he has called us to be, his people whom he has made one. And when the dust of all the shifting foundations settle, the church's one foundation, Jesus Christ will remain. Let's pray. Father, continue your work in us that your name might continually be glorified, your wisdom made known to all, Lord, of this invisible world that is that our eyes can't see, but they are present and they are at work. But you, Lord Jesus, have conquered and overcome. Reign victorious, O Lord, as there is no king beside you, there is no God beside you. There is no other savior that is calling the ends of the earth to look to him and be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.